Welcome to Mommy's on a Call, your sacred space to laugh, learn, and feel like a real grown-up human for a hot minute. I'm Stephanie Uchima Carney, a mom of three under six, serial entrepreneur, business strategist, and donut connoisseur, just trying to get through the day one cold cup of coffee at a time. I believe that with more intention, a positive mindset, and self-care, it is possible to thrive in motherhood, business, and life. My mission is to uncover the daily rituals, life lessons, real-life tactics, and favorite tools to inspire and empower you, mommy, to get the most out of life every single unpredictable day. So grab your headphones, tell your kids you're on the potty, and tune in weekly for some laughs, knowledge bombs, and plenty of real talk with real moms, and maybe a dad or two. Welcome to the Mommy Pod. Hello, and welcome back to Mommy's on a Call. Today, I'm excited to bring to you Mary Huang. She's America's female empowerment and conscious parenting expert, international best-selling author, speaker, and healer, who's on a mission to help women transform traumatic life events into points of power rapidly. After fleeing and healing from an abusive marriage to now enjoying freedom and bliss, Mary uses her experience to help women connect the dots between healing personal traumas and consciously raising the next generation of empowered children. Well, Welcome, Mary. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I just love your energy, your show, everything you stand for. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start off by asking, what was your biggest mom win of the week? Mom win of the week. Oh, girl, hitting me up like that. I'm like, not even expecting that. Gotta start off with a bit of positivity. Total, total. I love my girls. So I have two daughters. They're five and eight and they really are the joy of my life. I know every parent says that, but truly like they just teach me so much. So I think the win is this when they have a hard time, whether, because we're going through a divorce still, and we had to move home. It's very challenging. It's a whole new, everything, new home, new friends, new everything. You can imagine how difficult that is for little ones. And so when they act out, the win is that they know how to self-soothe. They know to go ahead and go to the bedroom, take a little moment, pick out something that's going to make them feel good. We have a calming box so they can get out a squeezy ball or look at their glitter bottle or listen to music because now they're a little bit older so they can listen to music that they like and dance it out. But whatever it is, they have the right to feel their emotion. And I'm proud that they do. They really let it out. (laughs) And I'm happy for that. (laughs) That is a good mom would. And I want to go into that in a little bit about how you got them to that point, because I know I don't think my kids could do that. (laughs) So that's incredible. (laughs) To start, just give the audience a little bit of context. I know you mentioned you have two daughters, But what does your family structure look like at the moment? At the moment is a brand new structure for about a year. As you read off a moment ago, I fled an abusive marriage. Now, mind you, before that, like I loved my life. It was incredible. So my children didn't have any heads up before the break because we had to flee. And so it was extra hard on them to suddenly be uprooted and go somewhere else. And our structure now is that there, there's two homes, two dramatically different parenting styles and, and consciousness around that. That's the structure. That's the structure. It's two households and they get carted back and forth like most children. And we're about probably 40, 40 minutes apart. And so with that comes a lot of thinking about how do I hold space for the children to transition through something that difficult? 
Wow. And you mentioned an interesting word. You said flee. You had to flee. One, what was the situation you're in? Like, I kind of want to get a a little bit of background about your journey on how you or where you are today, where you came from. And then also, how were you able to keep your children kind of in the dark? And you said they were uprooted and surprised. Give us a little bit of background about your journey there. Yeah. So I'll dip really quickly into my childhood because the reason why most of the time people find themselves in an abusive situation is because in childhood, we're programmed with our programs for how informing us how to live the world as an adult to be successful. And if a child is born into a toxic, abusive family, there's no way for the child to know this is abnormal. So violence and neglect becomes normalized. So that's where I came from being raised by two narcissists and one of them being deeply, majorly depressed. So the type of abuse <laughs> that we endured were just crazy. I have actually a question on that point being yeah. you're Asian, just like myself. Do you think that had anything to do with kind of the cultural upbringing? I just saw the movie Minari last night and it was just interesting to see that and watching that and being like, oh yeah, like, oh yeah, that's how Asian families, like that's the cultural background. Those are the traditions, the way we treat elders or the way we communicate. Do you think that had part of the reasoning behind how you were raised? Oh, hundred percent girl, hundred percent, which is now the reason why I'm an advocate now for these topics. And from an Asian perspective on top of that is that our Asian culture normalizes these gender roles and normalizes abusive, toxic interactions within marriages. I mean, yes, it's they just, disguise was, it as respect. <laughs> they call oh, it respect. Yeah. <laughs> right. Respect. Exactly. It's horrible. It's horrible. And now is the time. Like we cannot not talk about these taboo topics. Asians are all about, let's never talk about anything private in public, but you know what? I'm opening that Pandora's box because we have to for our children's sake. And for all the moms listening, it doesn't matter which culture you're coming from. We are all impacted by this. You know, I think in an American society, I've lived in both countries, Taiwan and America and some other countries growing up. But I see how in Asia, it's so overtly that the women are oppressed. In America, it's not as overt. It's covert, even though we have the Me Too movement and we're all talking about it. But still, it's not it's not where it needs to be. So we got to talk about this stuff. So you started in your youth talking about your parents and then moving forward, you got married, you had two kids. What happened? Yes. So what happened was because I started in the my childhood, because what happens is this program informs us that whatever we were born into is familiar. So we start to repeat these cycles of abuse. If you were born into abuse, thinking it's feeling familiar, that's where you just go to is your baseline. So I didn't even realize I was in a 10 year abusive relationship until it just escalated because it's not like it's not abusive at a level 10 from day one when you're getting chased, right? And having that courting period in the relationship. So it starts to break down slowly by slowly, verbally, psychologically, mentally, spiritually. And then so physical isn't the only, there's even financial abuse. So women feel like they get trapped, but it's mostly in the mind. And for myself, the journey was, it got so bad to the point where I couldn't live in my own fantasy anymore. 
see, I have my own self-responsibility and how did I wind up in that puzzle piece of being the victim victim. I don't even want to call it that, but how was I the abusee with the puzzle piece of an abuser? It's cultural, but the self-responsibility and self-awareness part is to understand the history of where I came from to brought me to where I was. And then the moment my children came and said, are you okay, mommy? I don't like X, Y, Z was a moment that showed me, girl, you cannot allow this pattern that your parents showed you to continue into your children's generation and beyond. And that they gave me the wings to fly because that's the hardest thing to do is to leave with two kids from a family. That's a hard thing to do. So your wake up moment was really your kids coming to you when you're like, huh, interesting. Like I need to do something. What was the next step that you took? How did you go about even starting to heal this or starting to get the courage to walk away? I know a lot of women out there might be in a situation where they are afraid to walk away. They don't even know the resources to go to. Where did you go? I went to the domestic violence center. And when I went there, they showed me some forms like the cycle of abuse. And I'll tell you really briefly what it is. It's a cycle where in the beginning, it's like a lot of love, love bombing. It's the chase. It's the, you know, it's the pursuit. And then it's good times. But then all of a sudden there enters the phase of this buildup of tension. And it can be like... The, outside the relationship. It could be work. It could be fineness. It could be anything, but whatever the stresses are that the person doesn't know how to handle and transform then comes, gets taken out within the relationship. The relationship becomes the punching bag. So it goes from the chase and all this love bombing. Then it turns into like tension building over a phase of time. And after that, then there's going to be some sort of explosive experience, some sort of toxic or abusive event. And then the abuser says, I'm so sorry. I really love you. I really need you. Please forgive me. I'll be different. I'll be different. And then you forgive and especially people who are coming from an abusive childhood, the threshold for toxicity is set too high. The thermostat is set too high. And then not having boundaries as a child allows other adults in the future to just cross right into your space and take advantage because we're still operating from victim mentality, not knowing that I can put in a boundary. So after that, then there's like the making peace, making harmony, and then it repeats itself again and again. And there might be a rest period in between enough to, to think like, oh, he really did change. And so what I learned is the words and the actions have to match because I was basing it off of words for a very, very long time. And I lived in my own fantasy of like, oh, you know, sunshine and rainbows, it really can be fine because he says it is. But if the actions don't match, time and again, you got to get real with yourself. So let's talk about now where you are today. How is your relationship with him? Because you do, it looks like co-parent. And how is your relationship between him and your children? So the relationship between me and him are still, it's not where I would like it to be, but it has to be a journey. The ideal for me, like I always can see the vision, but then I have to understand there's a time period between here and there. And that's with anything that's with projects, with whatnot. And especially here, because trust needs to be rebuilt. Trust 
first and foremost. And if that's not there, it's going to just take some time to get there. So for me, my focus really is on the children, what's best for the children. And thankfully he's speaking that way that, you know, he cares about what's best for the children. So if we can agree at least on that common ground, then everything else can be a little bit easier. We don't talk about anything else. We only talk about what's necessary for the children. And that makes it easier until eventually I would like to have some sort of amicable friendship. But until that's possible, I'll take what we have right now. How do you deal with then two different parenting styles? Because if, you know, do you have any say or whatnot on what goes on with the kids there? Because you might parent one way, but I always say like, at the house, even with my husband and I, it's like, if he says one thing and I say the other, like the kids get confused or it's like they go to one of us because they know they'll get their way with something. How do you manage two different households of two different parenting styles? That's a really great question. And I even drew a diagram for the children to color in, to, to explain it in a pictorial form, right? Because they're children. I always like to bring it down to a kid's level. And I drew basically like a line with little, like a measuring line, right? And then on one side is mommy's house and the other is daddy's house. And I drew a house with hearts and love, but I, I wrote words to demonstrate at our house here, we only tell the truth. We eat healthy. So I listed all of these things that what I value, what I want to instill them with. And on the other house, we happen to be polar opposites in some places. Like there's like unsupervised media. They all have cell phones at a very young age. They were four and seven. And that really was such a a painful point for me because I understand how the brain isn't done developing. It's dangerous, not even just because of the developmental phase, but social media and all of this stuff, it's dangerous, right? And not being monitored, what they're consuming. They can have all the sugar they want. Like it's just total opposite. So I don't villainize him, but I explain, I use everything as a teaching moment. And I say, Hey, this is what we do here. This is what goes on there. Mommy can only teach you how to make good decisions for yourself when I'm not with you. I know you're going to have more sugar there, but listen, how does your body feel when you're here? And how does your body feel when you eat all the sugar you want from morning to night? They're like, oh, I feel sick. It feels ill. I don't like it. I'm like, yeah, exactly. So I let them give the answer because then it's their own idea almost. Right. So like guiding them. I always think that that's why I wrote the empowered child because I'm teaching parents to see themselves as a coach and a guide as an earth angel, someone who's here to guide them to the best of our ability, because we don't know everything. We're not perfect. And I right. let them know that straight off the bat. And you're not there with them when they go to school, when they're with their friends and things like that. It doesn't even matter about if you're at one parent or the other's house, it matters how they go through life. So to back it up a little, where in your career did you start? Were you working when you were raising them? What was kind of your career during that time before you got your, or before you separated? Yeah. So I had opened up a school called the light warrior school for children because my oldest one at the time had graduated from a progressive preschool and I didn't want her to go to mainstream school. So I opened up a school. I just like solved like a real life issue and other parents started coming. Like I meditated and I got this download of like what the school is. And actually it wasn't a download for the school. It was a download called optimal human development, which is now what I teach adults, but I just kept writing until the vision was captured. 
Richard. And then it became the foundation for the Light Warrior School for Children. And then all the parents just loved it and started sending their kids over. And that's, that's what I had. I also was coaching parents. I, I've been an empowerment coach for over 10 years, but parents wanted me to teach them what we were doing at the school because we focused on emotional intelligence, stress management, leadership, and psychic hygiene. What is psychic hygiene? And also I saw somewhere that you were called a priestess and I want a little bit more information on, you know, this priestess status of yours. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what was the first question? Oh, before the priestess so the first was? question was what exactly is this psychic hygiene? hygiene you called it yes, psychic so- hygiene. Psychic hygiene is what it's called. So psychic hygiene is basically psychic tools. We're all energetic beings. Science has proven that the whole entire universe is created by energy and matter. So everything is really just bouncing atoms. So if we're all just energy, that means we have to put in energetic boundaries, not just emotional boundaries or behavioral boundaries, but also energetic so that when the world is bombarding us, especially 2020 with all the loss, the grief, the anger, the unprocessed emotions that have been kicked up, right? It's all been suppressed, but now it's all been opened up. You can't hide from it. All of that energetic frequency and vibration is bouncing back and forth, reverberating. So we have to understand that we can put ourselves in a bubble. And I teach this to the kids. My kids could teach you this or the audience and have this energetic egg around your body that allows you to know what's your energy and what is somebody else's energy. And that goes line in line with emotional intelligence because emotional intelligence We want to learn how to recognize what is somebody else's baggage and what is mine. And so it really goes hand in hand together, seeing it from an emotional, a thought form, and also from an energetic being's perspective. Do you have any tips on how to create that bubble, how to create that egg around you? You said your kids could teach it. How would you teach a five-year-old how to do this? Totally. And I I have videos already made of this. So it's all it takes is your imagination and your intention. Honestly, we already know that science has shown that Olympians and athletes and astronauts will sit there and, and visualize what they're going to do before they do it. And they've measured that it has activity in their brain as if they're doing the act, right? So imagination and intention is all it takes. And all we're doing is imagining that you're inside of a golden bubble, And it's three feet in diameter in front to the side and behind above and below. You're in this bubble, whether or not you know it, and it can expand, it can shrink based on your health. And so some people call it the aura, but it's more than that. It's the aura. And then there's a a shield. (laughs) That's funny. You know, when that happens, you just have to laugh at yourself. And so then we can teach our kids and ourselves how to eventually feel the shift in temperature, pressure, frequency. You can actually learn to feel where your bubble ends and then the outside world begins. It takes time to cultivate that if it's brand new. I had to learn it, but we are all born with the capacity. So simply said, just imagine it and it is so. Wow. Okay. My second question was on priestess. Explain to me what, what is this priestess status and how does this incorporate <laughs> into your whole being right now? 
Oh my gosh. Well, so Priestess Temple of Light is the temple that I am creating. Right now it's virtual and eventually it's going to be a physical location that's going to be serving women healing from toxic and abusive relationships. And the Light Warrior School will be reopened within it to serve the children of these women. And so priestess really is because of the journey that I've gone through studying under different teachers and mentors and in a mystery school, I was all training about priestess work. And for me, I think everyone has a different definition. For me, being a priestess really means taking very seriously the position of being an anchor of light and teaching others the importance of being a temple body and understanding that we are more so, more of us is a spiritual, intangible being inside of this physical body on planet earth. And we're not on planet earth just to push papers and, you know, escape abuse or whatever. We are on planet earth because we are housing this divine spark that each of us has a divine blueprint fingerprint. And our job is to remember who we are and what our divine assignment has been that we agree to come and do and link up with others who are also remembering. But most importantly, my job is to help people remember who they are because that's how we're going to change the world. Wow. And do you have any practices or rituals that you do daily in order to help, I guess, tap into all of us? I think I remember you talking about how on another call we had, I think you said you woke up at like three in the morning or something crazy. You will get, you wake up really early and you know, you do all these practices. What are kind of your daily rituals that you do for yourself? Yes. So I teach this in my mentorship program and not everybody needs to wake up at three in the morning. It just depends on what (laughs) level of devotion, but we all do need to have some kind of practice, whether it's five, 10, 15 minutes, or, you know, it doesn't need to be three hours. (laughs) As a mom, how do you wake up at three in the morning? (laughs) I go to bed at like 8 30, 9 o'clock. But you know what? I don't know if that's even a true statement anymore because we've gotten so busy working these days. But that's the ideal. And so, as far as like a recommended easy way to have a spiritual practice for yourself is before going to bed and when you wake up, those two points in time are super important. And to be really intentional with what it is your mind is filled with, whatever you're going to bed with, you're going to probably wake up in that state. So why not intentionally create it to be empowering? And why not go to bed with your eyes closed, take a few deep breaths and visualize your ideal world that you're creating, whatever it is, there's no wrong answer. Just go into your la la land and fantasize because you're going to go falling asleep in such a positive state. Then you'll wake up being able to pick up where you left off. And then when you wake up, You've got to realize that you, again, are a temple housing the divine spark. And what are the things that really mattered for you to be able to hear the messages of guidance of why am I on this planet? What's my destiny for me to fulfill? People, one of the top five, actually top three reasons people are regretful on their deathbed is because they felt like they didn't live full out. They were afraid 
don't let that happen to you. So how do you avoid that? You got to wake up every morning and like hit that reset button on yourself and say, I remember who I am. I remember I'm here to fulfill a destiny. And if you don't know what it is, don't let that pressure you and feel bad because I spent so many years wondering, what's my purpose? I'm so lost. You're not. The fact that you want to be a good person on the planet is it. And then how it shows up will present itself. So that's what I say. Do you like meditating too? Or do you journal? Like what are some of your favorite practices to do during that time? Besides like thinking all these things, how do you put it out there? Yeah. So prayer is my first thing that I get straight into. And I have a specific, you could, it starts to craft on its own. You got to start baby steps, one little thing, and then you add to it over time, what it is that you're praying for and praying about what I'm praying about these days is to remember who I am always in all that I do. And that the assignment that I've been given is going to ripple out every single day with each person I talk to and touch. So it's prayer. And then number two is meditation. It's very important because prayer to me is like communication with God. I feel like universe, divine source. And meditation is learning how to empty your bowl so that you can actually hear. There's all this chatter going on. And if we don't have that bubble to kind of keep out the chatter from the external world, we still have the internal chatter. So we've got to empty that bowl through the practice of meditation. And a lot of people like to say to me, I'm just not made for it because I'm ADD or something like that. And I say, you know what? I used to teach meditation for a few years. And what I want to say is there's a myth that you're supposed to like hit the mute button and all of a sudden it's mute. And it's not like that at all. It's not about the end point. Again, it's about the journey. Everything's about the journey because in the journey to capturing those moments of silence in between thoughts, in between the synapses firing, when you capture that little moment of void, it's like gold. And then the next time you come and sit down on your cushion, you maybe catch like twice of that void and then it starts to string together. But the whole point is it is to bring it out into the world in your waking life when you're not just having meditation moment, but your whole life is meditative where you can actually hear all the time. Ah. It's a practice. That's a good analogy. I never thought of it that way with like emptying the bowl or, you know, pouring that out. Well, I want to switch gears a little and talk about their whole concept, the empowered child and also conscious parenting. Cause I feel like, a, you know, there's mom guilt, there's mom shame. There's all these different ways, you know, how are you telling me how to parent? Like whatever that is. And so explain to me what conscious parenting is and how, how you kind of developed this concept of going forward using this sort of method. Totally. It really all came out of me wanting to be different than where I came from. And not just about the trauma, but just being from an Asian culture, it's authoritative. I've even lived in Taiwan. So it's like the culture really supported the oppression of not having a voice, especially the gender programming of being female. There's just so much about like, you can't be seen. You can be seen, but don't be heard and don't be too smart because it's going to be like, you know, scaring the guys, or I don't know, some ridiculous things that my parents were teaching me. <laughs> I, by the way, that just like took literally my voice out because I've been struggling with that, finding my own voice and finding that. And so that is already speaking to me. Continue. <laughs> oh, awesome. And like, you know, and it's funny because I see you as a powerful, empowered female, right? And so I saw myself that way. 
but still there's more because the ancestral patterns that are just given through us to the DNA and then emphasized through the stories that the families teach is ingrained and it takes time to unravel. And so our children are really going to benefit from all these conversations that we're having. And the reason why I went for conscious parenting is because instead of being oppressive and knowing what it feels like to not have a voice, to not have the opportunity to be creative, to be seen, heard, understood, and validated. I knew the pain of what it caused as an adult, having to overcome that. I didn't want that for my children. So I I just researched a lot. I studied it. And then also with what the divine was sharing with me, came up with the empower process of parenting. And really the book is geared so much to like three to five-year-olds because that's when I wrote the, the book, My Children Were That Age. And instead of seeing the children as acting out or manipulating me because they're crying over like running out of cereal and how could they be on the ground you know, kicking and screaming. What's wrong with them? I'm in that stage. I'm almost in the three-nagers stage. So she's two (laughs) turning three in June. And then I have the five-year-old and they're in that stage. And right now I'm like, why are you always having tantrums? So yeah. Right? (laughs) Perfect. And in this book, actually, it teaches the bubble method that I was sharing earlier. So that's perfect. So my invitation to parents is to like, take a breather, take a step back. I know it's easier said than done. I'm saying it's an invitation. And when you let it soak in, there'll come a period where you can actually implement it. So from reading it or hearing it to implementation might not be, oh, right away, but letting it soak in and getting your mind around it to like eventually be able to do it. Great. It's a process. It's a journey, just like everything. And so my invitation is be the guide, be the coach. If you've ever had a coach, your coach is never going to say, oh, you failed. Oh, you suck. Oh, you're horrible. Like, you know, like just get out of here. Never. The coach is always going to be like, hmm, they're going to take a moment to think about what's the most wise thing I can say that's going to inspire them into action, shows them that I understand. So that's number one. We got to allow the kids to understand it's okay because it's normal. We can't tell a three-year-old not to have a tantrum. (laughs) It's normal. It's not going to not happen. So instead of fighting it, we have to accept it and then be like, okay, I understand. And then do the energy work of putting myself in a bubble, putting them in a bubble, connecting each of us to the divine because there is a divine and letting the divine be the one to handle the situation. So I don't have to be the one to do all the heavy lifting. I can just let them have their moment. And then once you can see there's an arc, there's the tantrum, and then it seems to last forever, but it doesn't. And once the arc comes down, then we can approach and be like, Hey, do you want a hug? Hey, you know, what's happening? It depends. You have to be age appropriate so they understand you. And then sometimes we wait until way later on to say, hey, you know, yesterday, like that was pretty explosive. Like what happened? What's really going on? Are you okay? And so I'm not looking to be their friend, but in those emotional moments, I understand it's a cry for help. There's a a part of them that's not being seen and they're not being understood and they don't know how to communicate and that's all they know how to do. And it's my job to come forward and give them words by broadcasting. It looks like you're having a hard time. Do you need some space? I don't do time out and I don't punish and I don't take away their favorite toys. I treat them the way I want to be treated. It actually is pretty simple like that. (laughs) 
I mean, it makes sense. I, I did a lot of reading into like positive discipline. I think there's step I've taken a bunch of those like types of parenting classes. So I, I understand that philosophy, one thing that I was kind of curious about is you said, you know, you put each of yourselves into this egg and you let the like divine go down. But what if you're that mom in that moment? Like, yes, I'm trying to shield like, okay, I'm not going to hear this. But like the screaming won't stop. And like, you know, we we already have this like heightened sense of just like, I can't listen to their voice one more time or be in the house with them anymore because I've been stuck with them. How do you calm yourself in that moment? Do you have your own calm box? I'm just kidding. Right, right. I know we should. Good one, girl. Adults calm box. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think that it's preventative. We've got to have the self-care. We've got to have the time for self-care carved out and a support network. So now that I'm a single mom in COVID lockdown, you know, for 2020, how in the world am I going to have self-care time? Well, yes, they did have time to go to their desk, but I have them 80% of the time. So finding, you know, networks to lean on where it's safe and they can still be doing things that are productive or fun that fills their cup. So I could take a breather, even if it's 30 minutes or an hour, gotta have it. So that's preventative, but in the moment, because we all have in the moment situations where we're off balance and we're finding ourselves like, ah, I'm tearing my hair out. First of all, I'm not perfect. So if I find myself reacting in a way that is not ideal, I'm a teacher that happens. I call myself out. And I give them permission to call me out. That's very important. I've given that them, them that power from day one so that they know they have a voice and they know that they can say, hey, I can trust my intuition. This doesn't feel aligned. Mommy, you're out of alignment. And I'll be like, oh, okay, thanks. Let me go take them. Mommy needs a moment. <laughs> and so, so, okay, here's a perfect answer for you. I teach the children, if you're having a tough day and you don't want me to like help you because sometimes they don't want my help go to the room, go read a book, go do nothing, go sleep, go listen to meditation music, go do what you got to do. And if mommy's out of alignment, mommy's going to need to go do that too. And you can tell me the same. And so it gives me permission to take a moment away from them. And they're probably happy because they're like, oh, her energy is messed up. I do not need that around me. And then there's another thing that we say, virus. And we, this virus word came up before COVID where if a negative vibe is being bounced around because energy transfers and we recognize that. So if somebody wakes up cranky and then it makes the other sibling cranky, and then now mommy gets cranky. And then we're all like, you passed the virus. One of them will say to the other one. And then, and then it gives us an opportunity to laugh about it and handle it from that place. So it's also like do. having a code word, you know, with the kids. Like if you're, I, I like that. Although I don't know if virus would be one I'd want to use now. Now, right? <laughs> you gave me the virus. <laughs> Everyone's going to think of COVID. So I want to go back to in the beginning, you mentioned something about how your kids would go to their room, have the comm box, like do that. And I was so impressed with like, my kids wouldn't just voluntarily do that. Walk me through how they got to that place. Like what sort of, I guess, parenting did you do in order to get them to really understand their emotions? I think that's the biggest thing about young kids is that they don't understand their emotions. You know, they act out because again, yeah, they're not being seen, but they don't know how to articulate that. 
And I feel like so many times in a day, I'm like, use your words, but maybe they don't actually have words because they don't know how to articulate it. So I guess going back to how did you get your kids to be able to manage their emotions like that and to be able to be conscious enough to walk to their room and go to their comm box? Consistency. And it didn't happen overnight. It took time to plant the seeds and water it time after time. And in different ways, whether it's like she's having an outburst. Now, my older one still has you know, she gets really frustrated, type A, Taurus, firstborn. When it comes to learning anything new, she's like, she expects herself to be perfect from the first try because she's really smart. She actually is very smart. And I think that also works against her because she expects herself to get everything the first time. So I'm just saying that to share with you that she still has things that trigger her that she is working on. Like I do, we all do, right? But how did I get to the, how did it get to this point most recently for them to be able to go ahead and give themselves that space? It took time. Look, she's eight years old and I've been programming her consciously, intentionally since birth, since in utero. I've been planting the seeds and talking to her and using every moment as I can to be a teaching moment towards that. So during the divorce period, when it was locked down and we couldn't have the support network to lean on, it was just us and a lot of emotions of heartbreak and grief and loss. That's when the, the, the box, the calming box was, was birthed and they get to be the ones to design what goes in there because they know what makes them feel good. And giving them the permission in the space is really, really huge. But over time, really, it's just the consistency. And like you said, they don't know the words when they're three, two, three, four, five years old. And so that's why broadcasting is really important in my practice is like, oh, I really noticed that like, wow, you're, you're throwing that across the room. Are you angry? Are you sad? Like what's happening? And at first you have to take a pause to think about what's happening. Are they low blood sugar? When's the last time they ate? Did they sleep well? Are they teething? All these different components behind why they're uncomfortable and acting out? Or is there something that's happening with their friends? They're missing some relatives. And having those conversations with them in a time that feels good to them. I like that because a lot of times we think, well, there are kids, so we should just kind of tell them or whatnot, but we wouldn't want to be treated the same. And so I think a lot of times we disconnect ourselves from the fact that, you know, we're the parent, they're the child versus like, oh, they're just another human. Like we need to respect that maybe they're having a bad day or something's bothering them. (laughs) So, wow. Oh my gosh, totally. My, one of my Favorite, one of my favorite quotes is from Khalil Gibran about children and parenting and how the children do not belong to us. They come through us, but they don't belong to us. And so this book is really written with that energy frequency within it, because if we can see it from that perspective, it's a lot easier. Parenting becomes a lot easier instead of feeling like, oh, that child acting out in the middle of, you know, Nordstrom's is a reflection on my parenting. Instead of seeing it that way, I can see it as, oh my gosh, she's overwhelmed. She's oversensitized. She's blah, blah, blah. Let me help her by getting her to a safe space. Mm. Two totally different ways of approaching it. And the child is going to really appreciate it because they feel it. They can feel if we're judging them because we're judging ourselves for not being good enough as a parent. And they're like somehow are reflecting that, which is not We're like projecting onto them. Yes. 
Right. So, so much of the of raising an empowered child is about reparenting ourselves and how we were parented. Hmm. So to wrap it up, I wanted to ask, what do you think is your superpower that you gained once you became a mom? Ooh, that's such a great question. The superpower that I gained is really being an exponential learner because I know it's a saying that we hear, but it, it just really, I got it on a deep level when I had kids that children are our teachers. And specifically for me, it's because every age that they grew into, it would activate unhealed trauma in my own life from that age. And I didn't, I didn't know that that would happen. And so as they started to grow and push on those wounds, it allowed me to uncover and heal so much. And that's why now I'm the advocate of teaching people how to heal the past and into the future. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, Mary, thank you so much for joining today. Where can we find you online? Oh, you can go to priestesstempleoflight.com and find out all about me and connect with me there. And what's your new podcast called? It's called Rule Breakers. And I'm so excited you're going to be on my show. It's called Female Voices of Change. I We're going to talk it. about topics. <laughs> I love it. No, it's great. Well, thank you so much for joining today. I appreciate you so much, Stephanie. Thank you for all that you do and for having me today. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Mommy's on a Call. Your support means the absolute world to me. You can find the show notes for this episode and other goodies over at mommiesonacall.com. And if you enjoyed this episode or have gotten value from the podcast, I would be so grateful if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review so that we can reach and empower more moms all over the world together. Thank you so much again, Mommy Pod, and I will see you here next time.